0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde and now our all-time favourite, our professor gardening guru, Wally Richards, I feel as though we should have a drum roll, Wally. It's been so long.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it, I've missed you.
0: I've missed you. Yeah. And I've had such a lot to report.
1: Oh, good. But first, how was your summer? Um, yeah, it's it's been good. Um, we have had more blue skies than I would have thought we would have had, so that's good. Plants are growing well. Um some insect pests like white butterfly. Certainly they are back around. But interesting enough, I've had reports from various people in different places in New Zealand saying there's no insects. What's happened to all the insects? Which is quite interesting because taken them. Because um other reports on social media, etc., from Arthur Fritzenberg, um uh, it's the bloody radiation coming down. And especially now, they put all those satellites up in the sky, Elden Voss, yeah. being five G's down. And I tell you what, um, people have just said, look, even the pest insects are not here in our place where normally you've got bees, bumblebees, aphids, etc. How
0: interesting.
1: And, and it's very concerning. And a report I saw just recently. Um, from Australia, that hundreds of parakeets dropping out of the sky, dead. They're flying along, uh, uh, having a good time, and then, hey, presto, gone.
0: That's not usual. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how parakeets normally go away to die, but I imagine they don't drop out of the sky. I don't
1: no. know. No, no Tell me. don't.
0: Well, I've had lots of bumblebees, good. And, um, but to be fair, I'm only a beginner gardener, so I haven't got another season to compare to. But I imagine, this is these interesting things about people, isn't it? That if you're a gardener, you observe things that hitherto you never noticed.
1: Okay. I wrote recently, you may have read the article, um, from information from England, that a particular annual flower has adapted to not needing pollinators to pollinate and hence create seeds, um, it's changed its um, structure so it's self-pollinating. Right now, the scientists that discovered this they also had original seeds of the same plant. So they decided, right, let's plant some of these originals up next to the uh, modified ones, and this is nature modifying, not man modifying, of course, and so they did, and these new, the old variety came up. And pollinators, bees, and so forth would go and visit the old, but they wouldn't go anywhere near the new. They already know that that's changed. Now, this is scary stuff.
0: Mm. Do you think we're messing with nature in ways that we don't, that nature's being messed with in ways we don't know about?
1: Well, let's face it when it comes to insect problems like um, aphids or whatever, and we and create some nasty chemical poison to kill them, right, and which initially it just knocks them more back, but some of them don't get a full dose and they don't die, and their prodigy have got an immunity mm. to a degree to that poison, and then their prodigy, have a greater immunity. And so within two or three generations, which could be in the period of two or three months, mm. no longer does that chemical poison work anymore on that insect uh, because i have the, just changed the metabolism. So the same thing, I think, is applying with ourselves, that we also adapt to some of these uh, undesirable Things such as radiation from cell phones, cell towers, etc., but nature, of course, adapts much faster because it takes us quite a long time to have three generations. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> when... why,
0: that's why our hair fell out, Wally.
1: Yeah, it did. Yeah, and, and yeah. one of the things too, I've just come to realise. Um, there's a book called Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Fitzemburg, uh, which is very interesting to read. I think the obesity problem is not so much completely to our diet in this country, it's due to a degree with the radiation our bodies have been subjected to constantly oh. from Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, etc. Well, that's my excuse for having a fat Yeah. Coming. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to go with that. Yeah. Um, it's a damn Wi-Fi. Turn the Wi-Fi off and I'll be as thin as a pin.
1: Uh
0: I've got to thank you, Wally. I've had a wonderful summer with my bountiful harvest. Very good. So I've had lettuces galore. I've had so much vegetables that I can't eat them all. I'm giving them away. And even people that I'm giving them away to are saying, enough already. I've had lettuces. I've had tomatoes. I've had carrots. I've had broccoli. I've had cabbages. I've had corn, I've got potatoes, I've got my yams, I've got beans, I've had peas. Amazing. Yeah, great. Absolutely amazing. The only thing is, I sort of got my proportions wrong, so I got overwhelmed by tomatoes, but didn't have enough of, (laughs) I didn't have enough of, you know, something else, beans uh, or carrots. And right. then I sort of had all my lettuces come, and then I didn't have lettuces, and then lettuces came. And, of course, it's a tough climate in central Otago. So things, boy, um, when the sun's shining long days and you keep the water up, which is a mission in itself, man, do the plants grow. Yeah. You literally, You literally see them grow in a day. And if you're away for a couple of days from your garden and then you turn up, you actually fall over because it's so it's it's like a tropical, tropical growth. Yeah. And more exciting still, my nursery, where I've got, you know, hundreds of beech trees and tussocks and that that I'm nurturing. Man, have they grown? I truly can't believe it. But you know the best thing I grew? Oh. No. Garlic. Oh, right. I I I uh, amateur cook. And I've enjoyed my eating my own potatoes and lettuces and carrots. And I particularly enjoyed the corn because it's so fresh and succulent. And you get this great sense of achievement, wonder that, gosh, I planted that and here we are as a family eating it. It's just so different to going off to the supermarket and buying a bag of spuds and carrots. And uh, and you feel it uh, very nutritious but the garlic the garlic was so different to the what you get in the supermarket it was
1: astonishing you tell, you have been buying the Chinese garlic have you in the supermarket
0: well, turns out as I've been explaining it to people that's the exact thing they say to me I said I don't know I just buy the garlic but is right. it but it's Chinese garlic. Well, what is the story with that garlic?
1: Um, I, I don't really know. I I see it there in the big bundles yes. uh, in the supermarket, and the word on the street is, oh, you don't grow that one. It's not whatever. I don't really know because I, I've never tried to grow it or, or played with it. I, I do know in New Zealand in last season – I was able to get about six or seven different varieties of garlic from a place called Te Garlic, and um, I grew them. But unfortunately, I didn't have the success that you have had uh, with the garlic. But different varieties of garlic have either stronger flavour or or weaker flavour. So there is. The the interesting thing, um, there's no such thing as black garlic, naturally, because there's no such thing in the animal world. And and I see there's some outfit who promotes black garlic. Black garlic is something that's actually been baked in the sun and make it black, Ah. apparently, according to research I did through Google or whatever. Um, So yeah, a a bit of misdemeanor there. Garlic, the biggest problem with garlic for a lot of people, and you're fortunate that you have not been hit with garlic rust. Garlic rust came through New Zealand about three to four or five years ago and has decimated a lot of garlic commercially and domestically. Oh, wow. um, The garlic rust uh, strikes later on in the season, um, probably about two or three months before harvest time, and, of course, you're planting traditionally on the shortest day to harvest on the longest day or thereabouts or a month later. The rust attacks the foliage, and you see these rust um, puscles, puscles, I think they're called, um, on the foliage. And, of course, that reduces the amount of leaf to gather energy from the sun and those last couple of months are the critical time for getting the big bulb up, right? And through lack of energy from the sunlight, um, you end up with a very small um, bulb underneath with very small cloves, which are still usable, but um, certainly not the great big, you know. Mm. No, I've got two- whoppers. i got
0: whoppers. And uh, I got whopper onions. the onions are delicious. Uh, my carrots were a disappointment but um I someone told me, you know it's amazing we just listen to gossip when we're gardeners don't we Yeah someone told me I heard I someone said um that carrots don't like a too fertilized too much manure garden.
1: You have fork if you do. And and fork is spelt (laughs) F-O-R-K.
0: Well, my carrots forked, and are forked. Um, So I was very disappointed in my carrots. And is that because I had too much manure for them?
1: Too much nitrogen, yeah, causes forking. Also, if the soil is not friable, when the root goes down, it hits obstacles and starts to split. Ah,
0: that'd be me too.
1: Yeah, so... When you're planting parsnips, carrots, and so forth, you want probably, where's my metric ruler? My God, a metric ruler, because I'm always an inch man. You probably want about 160 millimeters of nice, friable soil that is moderately fertilized um, mm. by a Now, the product we have called biofos is, is vital for root crops. So potatoes, carrots, parsnips, kumara, uh, anything like that, right? You you put some biophosph in, which is reactive rock phosphate broken down naturally by microbes. So it's unlike superphosphate, which is the alternative where the rock phosphate is broken down with acid, which wow. is the detriment because when you apply superphosphate to your garden, you apply an acid, and acid kills the soil life and the worms. And that's a no no. So yeah. using biophos, naturally broken down, you get all the benefits of um, phosphate without the detriment of destroying your garden.
0: Mm. Well, Wally, I again I can't and I'm I got to plan better next year, um, my garden and my thinking rather than a bit haphazard. But I've had a very busy summer building, and um, even just keeping the water on my garden was um, tough because I'd get to the end of the day and I've, I could hardly move. And um, oh, I can't be bothered. I'll go to the garden. Oh, I'm too tired. Um, but uh, I'm very, very excited about our gardening year ahead. Because it's joyful. And I saw one of those things on X where it was this great response to this next generation who wants to save the planet and be close to nature. And this old guy said, well, why don't you plan now to produce everything that you're going to eat next year?
1: Yeah, good idea.
0: And... That's a great way of thinking, isn't it? because you yeah. cha- and 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 your lifestyle changes because you just become happier in the garden with those plants. And I healthier. find myself getting happy with my nursery too with my beech trees growing they they um they make me very happy um and again uh, I've had a couple turn a bit turtle and I've given them um, some magic botanic liquid and that's revived them. So I'm a big fan of that. And now we get on to the substance, because I detected you weren't big on summer and telling us about your holidays. Uh, you didn't go anywhere exotic, Wally. You weren't skiing in Switzerland.
1: Oh, of course, yeah. Um, traditionally skiing in Switzerland uh, in another lifetime, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was here. I'd um, like... We've been really busy. Um, lots of people placing orders for products and so forth. Um, the garden centres and Mitre 10, um, we don't deal with Bunnings or um, the warehouse. But they've been quieter. But then again, of course, retail is quieter. People are watching their money at the moment. Mm. and um, But they're, they're certainly going to mail order and, and buying a lot there. Um, and, and that's a point, too. People that um, in various places in New Zealand, it's a great thing if they go to the Amita 10 and they say, Where's Wally's Neem Tree powder? <laughs> or, or Where's Wally's uh, Neem Tree oil? Or something, you know? And, and if enough people do that, in fact, yeah, right. years, years ago, I wrote an article about lime sulfur, right? Now, this is an interesting story, right? Lime sulphur is a very old product which is only used in wintertime on deciduous plants like fruit trees and roses, and its action is burning. Lime sulphur burns, and it kills the diseases and the insect pests harbouring over, right? It, it fell out of favour as time went on, and so, many years ago, I wrote an article about lime sulfur and how people should use lime sulfur uh, this time of the year, which was going into winter, right? Well, I had a garden center um, down the South Island contact me and curse me. I said, "Why?" He said, "I've had lime sulfur on my shelves for so many years, and nobody's ever bought it. Suddenly it all sold, and I had to buy some more in. <laughs>
0: It's the power of the, your written word.
1: The yes, the power of words and knowledge and so forth. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see because particularly garden centres are my 10, I don't favour Bunnings, even though I shop there, of course, um, because some of the things are cheaper. Um, but um, they, they struggle along a bit, uh, for sure, and the more business that the owner operated garden centre has, whether it be O'Dreen's or King's Plant Barn, etc. That they do a pretty good job and any problems that they have, they can't answer the questions. They just ask me more often than not and mm. I answer the questions for them. Or they some of them actually will give them my telephone number and say, contact Wally Richards and ask him. <laughs>
0: no way. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Oh good for you. Well, you're a treasure. Wally, what should we be doing in the garden at this
1: moment? Okay. February. It's most important. We're now into February. Daylight hours are started to reduce. Not particularly noticeable yet, but they are reducing down. So the amount of sunlight or daylight hours for growing plants is now critical that you get your winter plants in as soon as possible. Um, ideally, some of them should have been planted in December and all through January for succession. Now we're in February and we've only got March, is about the last chance to do oh, you're,
0: so. You're panicking me, Wally.
1: Yeah. So cabbages, brassicas, cauliflower, broccoli, um, your Swedes, uh, all those. Are in. But there's a problem. It's a massive problem. Because now the white butterfly is around, and that means you have to contend with the caterpillars eating your young plants or whatever. And and another problem arises too that I always notice is you go down to your local Mitre 10 or uh, garden centre, you buy some cabbage plants, you take them home. And if you have a look at the leaves, there's probably eggs on the leaves (laughs) which the caterpillars are inside waiting to hatch out and you've brought them home with you.
0: All you've really done is produce a caterpillar farm.
1: Yes, a caterpillar farm. So how do we control the caterpillars and the butterflies? There's two, three basic ways. First of all, when you plant your brassica, if you put some of Wally's neem tree powder in the planting hole, and then put some of Wally's neem tree granules on the soil surface, what happens here is that the oil that's in them leaches out into the root system, translocates through the foliage. The butterflies, of course, will always lay their eggs on the outer leaves because that's traditional. That's where they like to put their eggs. So when those little eggs hatch out, the little caterpillar takes a bite of the leaf and he gets some neem in its gut, stops eating, starves to death very quickly, and when you harvest your cabbage, the outer leaves will have a whole lot of little wee holes in them but nothing in the centre, perfectly Amazing. clean, right? It's a nice, simple way. But if you're already planted and the are halfway to maturity, you're really a bit on the late side to do anything mm. in that regard. Mm. So then you take Wally's super neem treat oil and you add another product, which is most important, called RainGuard. We haven't talked about RainGuard, have we? We have. We have?
0: hmm but we can okay. talk about it again.
1: Ra- RainGuard um, is a polyphylamide film which protects the um, spray that you're going to add it to for a period of up to 14 days Rain or shine. So, if you sprayed um, an entry oil on, it's not going to wash off when you water your garden or you use your irrigation or if it rains. It's still going to be there. Otherwise, you have to go back and apply the oil again. So, that works well. And, And did I mention in the past too, an interesting thing for people that use weed killers? Like uh, Roundup, glyphosate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you use Add Rain guard which is only one mil to a liter of spray, it will increase the effectiveness of your weed killer by up to fifty percent.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: Yeah, it, it acts as a chemical brooch because one of the problems with glyphosate and a lot of uh, and herbicides is that. Shiny leaf plants or hairy leaf plants, they stop things getting into them that they don't want to get in, which is like herbicide, right? But when you add rain guard, it takes down that barrier that they put up to stop things getting in, and it goes in and it kills your weed. In fact, <clears throat> with Roundup, I believe the uh, rate on the bottle is something like 10 mils per litre. You can knock it back to five mils per litre, add rain guard, and you get a better result than 10 mils. Wow. So you can save yourself some money with your herbicide weed killers um, if if you use them. Best not to use those chemical ones around food crops, of course, because it gets into your food, and that's no good. But um, waste areas and other places, like gravel drives, whatever, where you're using them if you still do okay add rain guard to it it makes the world a difference so the other alternative is a product we call crop cover right which is a fine mesh very much like the scoop net that you use for pipe baiting Mm -hmm. similar sort of profile right now what you do here where you're going to plant, either in your raised garden or in your open garden, you get some alkothene pipe, the rigid type, not the irrigation type that's used for home gardens, but the stuff the farmers use, you know, it's really for their uh, irrigate well, to fill the troughs, etc., etc. It's quite strong. So you get that and you make some hoops. The ideal thing is the hoop should be about a metre high and its maximum point you shove the ends into the ground and you've got these hoops about a meter apart over that you put your crop cover right got it. on the far side to hold it down you put dirt you just cover it with dirt at the ends and in the front you use old bits and four by two or whatever to hold it down in place you plant your brassicas free of any eggs you've inspected them under that and they grow twice as fast because it's a microclimate now rain or watering will go through no trouble you can take the four by two off the front fold it back a bit weed and cover it it stops the butterflies getting to the plants it stops the cats getting to the plants it stops the birds getting to the plants so you've protected your plants perfectly. And I remember one season, I had this crop cover like that over um, uh, several broccoli plants, which I had planted, and they grew magnificently, perfect foliage, no holes, lovely big heads on them and so forth. And it was getting well into autumn. The white butterflies had finished for the season. That it was going into winter. That that gone, and I thought, "Oh, good! I'll take the crop cover off now." And I did. Next day, I went, and they were shredded. The birds, birds bloody got into them. Birds. Yeah, they just ripped them apart. Perfect plants, the best I've ever grown in my life. Any things? Yeah. So, crop cover is something we have. It's four meters wide, um, and we sell it by the meter length. You can use it season after season. I've got some stuff. It's 10 years old. It's still good as gold. Mm. It's a good, nice way to do it.
0: Well, you've given me a thought because um, I've got a wee patch that I could grow and I haven't got a rabbit fence up. I wonder they'd keep the rabbits off too, wouldn't they?
1: Yeah, couldn't. Rabbits, unless they decide to eat their way in or something, mm. burrow underneath, uh, would keep them off.
0: Rabbits are my bane, so I have to have my garden behind my rabbit fence in my nursery.
1: And okay, made- did, we, did we tell you what to do? To keep rabbits from eating your plants.
0: Oh, was that putting um,
1: a neem tree bottle, oil,
0: plastic bottle out with water? No, in it? no,
1: no, no, no. no. <laughs> oh, you can, when well, no, little. No, no, no. Neem tree oil. The, we have the real McCoy neem tree oil. It's got the fatty acids and everything. There's a few, I think two or three, out there in the market now which are not neem oil at all. Oh. It's cooking oil and they take the active ingredients of neem and put it into cooking oil <clears throat> and sell it, uh, and it don't really work very well because it's not the real McCoy. <clears throat> but neem oil, if you ever take Wally's neem tree, super neem tree oil and you put some in your mouth, you'll never do it again. It tastes bloody horrible. Mm. I know I found out one time when I tried to siphon some out of a drum I'd never do that again. No. Anyway, so what you do, and this is an old trick, farmers and so forth uh, with their roses, etc. possums attacking them, eating them. So you spray the plant late in the day with the neem oil that the rabbits or the possums have been eating, right? They come along. They have a little bit of a nibble on the leaf. go, oh, yuck. And the smell of the neem is there, so they associate the taste with the smell. Very sensitive animals. So when they come back, if the smell's there, they leave the stuff alone. And rather than having to spray all the time, even with rain guard, you then, after they've learnt their lesson, you put some neem granules on the ground, which creates a smell without having to spray. And the smells there, they come along, oh, no, no, I can't eat that. It's horrible.
0: Well, I'm going to give that a whirl, Wally, as we say, and I will be staggered. Do you know where in Otago here, the rabbits chew through canalized posts until they fall over?
1: Die of the chemicals.
0: <clears throat> well, until the posts fall over, God
1: Oh, the Posts, not the rabbit. rabbits.
0: <laughs> and the uh, wine grape growers have to replace their tennis poles with aluminium ones because of rabbits. They like. They look like beavers. You know, you'll see a you'll see a pole chewed through.
1: They're uh, cleaning their teeth, aren't they?
0: They're doing something. They're cleaning their gut too. I'd say, but oh my (laughs) god, these rabbits! And where I have my nursery, it's amazing because everything grows, and outside the fence, nothing. Um, But I have noticed the rabbits don't like water, and so I'm wondering if you, um, like for grass net, if you if you water the grass, rabbits don't come near it if it's wet and it gets long. And so they don't like water, but I'm going to give that neem tree oil and neem tree granules a go. That's very interesting. Uh, Tell me, uh, Wally, what else should we be doing in the garden? And I've got a reader's question for you. Let me give you that first.
1: Okay. Well, for Wally, for Wally,
0: can I use neem oil granules on tomatoes for whitefly? Thank you.
1: Yes. Yes, you can. Um, Once again, ideally. At planting time, you put some neem tree powder in the planting hole and some neem granules on the soil. And what you do when the plants get up a bit taller, you can hang some little uh, little bags made out of curtain netting or those um, little gift bag things that you can get from a $2 shop. Put some neem granules in that and hang them uh, up the idea with the neem, even though it does help with the insecticide aspect, but it disguises the smell of the tomato plant, right? And this year, as a, a trial, I decided on one of my little glasshouses to go a step further, and I put naphthalene, which is our cat repellent, which is smells like mothballs, right? And I hung bags of that in the glasshouse no white fly, not a scarrick. Outside they are, but not in my glass house. It's, the smell is overridden, the smell of the tomato plants. So the white fly adults flying along can't smell the tomatoes. And it's go. worked a treat.
0: Do you know, the one, one of the things I had a great failure in was growing marigolds. I grew the marigolds in my glass house for the tomatoes. I got one flower and I had three goes at growing them. But I didn't get attacked by pests. But um, I'm going to have to work on my, because uh, marigold scares them off too, doesn't it? The, disguise it's the smell. The smell. Yeah.
1: The smell uh, of the marigolds.
0: Now here's another thing, Wally, for you. Uh oh. I have to come back to it because I've I have lost it. Oh, oh. no! Aren't I terrible? I'll come back to that question because it was a it was a query. Anything else we should be doing in our garden while I look for this thing, Wally, at the, in February? Getting okay. our winter vegetables in, what else?
1: Yeah, winter vegetables. Now, if you're growing tomatoes at the moment, and particularly um, Russian reds, right, and you should be still keep keep feeding your tomato plants because a lot of people, when they get to the point the tomatoes are ripe, we're picking tomatoes, stop feeding the plants. By doing that, you shorten the period of time you're going to be harvesting. So if you keep on applying Wally's secret tomato food to your tomato plants, they will keep on keeping on a bit longer. Now, you know the laterals, the the side shoots that come off, when they get, where's my metric ruler again? It should be about four or five inches long, (laughs) or 80 millimetres. Pluck them off, put them into either a glass of water or into a little punnet with some uh, moist sand or potting mix or whatever. They'll root up, no trouble at all. Very easy to take cuttings of them, right? Now, if you take cuttings of them now, and then once they've shown some new growth on them and they're away, then you pop them into a reasonable size um, pot, say, 20 centimetre pot and let them grow up to about a metre tall. Now, if you've got a glasshouse, of course, you can have them in your glasshouse. And if you haven't, you can have them in some situation because they're in a container where you can protect them and have them fruiting in the wintertime. So you're getting tomatoes at a time which uh, they're more expensive by miles. Now, the problem is you've got to have tomato plants such as Russian red or cold-setting plants because if you have your ordinary money maker, beef steak, etc., etc., they'll flower in the winter but they won't produce pollen and they won't set fruit. They will only produce pollen if they're cold-setting. And there's one called... Um, Alaska or something. I think king seeds or uh, Egmont seeds have got it, which is only a small bush type tomato, but that will set, set uh, fruit in the middle of winter. No trouble at all because it's cold setting. Cold
0: setting. Oh, I didn't appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I was misled. I was led astray by my wife, not the first time. Uh, she likes cherry tomatoes. Right, And um me, I like big tomatoes because I like them sliced on my toast. In the morning, I make my sourdough bread, about an eighth of an inch of butter, a slice of tomato and salt and pepper, and I'm in heaven. But I've got thousands and thousands of these cherry tomatoes, and you're picking them forever. It's like picking raisins, you know? Yeah. But I don't know, actually, now... I should have kept it though. I have no clue um what tomatoes I've got, but I'm gonna have an attempt at getting I've got a wee um I've got a wee mini glasshouse. I'm gonna have an attempt at some lettuces and tomatoes in the winter because that would be absolutely fabulous. Mm. Um, I also when my tomatoes were growing, Wally, I might have made a mistake because I pulled off the laterals, squeezed them with my finger, like you said, and I planted them straight into the ground because I had so many tomato plants. Probably 50% of them grew. So I got even more tomatoes than I know what to do with. (laughs) I got tomatoes coming out of my ears. Mm. Now, I then got a bit weary because I thought my poor plants are taking a hiding. So I stopped picking the laterals thinking that you know I was gonna hurt the plants too much. My tomatoes are totally overgrown. It's 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 like a forest. Yeah. And I gotta rummage through to find my tomatoes. So clearly I should have been more aggressive with the laterals, right?
1: Right. Yes. Because how do you uh, work
0: that out? Well,
1: you may harken back to a time when there was a thing called Super Tom tomatoes. Yes. Now it's the nursery that grew Super Tom's has gone some years ago, but they were a, a particular favourite. The there's also what they call now grafted tomatoes. Now grafted tomatoes are the same as Super Tom's, but Super Tom's, of course, is a proprietary name, and you mm-hmm. can't use that, right? Now. The idea with a super tom or drafted tomato is you've got the trunk that goes up and then a couple of the early laterals that are coming off, you take them to the side and you have three stakes. So it's like a trident. I see. You have three plants off the same rootstock, right? Yeah. And you have to feed them very well, but then you take the laterals off. Um, if you grow like Scoresbury Dwarf or Russian Red, which are dwarf-type tomatoes. Not that they have small plant, um, fruit, but they are a bush-type tomato. Right? You don't have to take the laterals off them, but they will spread out a good meter wide and a meter high, and be quite dense from all the side growths, etc. But give you a very big crop of. Um, reasonable tomatoes. If, if you want to grow big beefsteak tomatoes, when you have one tomato slice, one slice covers your bread yeah. for your sandwich, then ideally you have to grow a, a big variety, and some of them can be up to a kilo or more in weight. They Ooh, can be bit- bloody big. Um, but you only allow a certain amount of fruit to set or have on the plant because you've got to put all that energy into Mm -hmm. those few fruit fruit to get the really big size. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's where you Every time I talk
0: to you, I just want to rush off, get gardening. I've been busy building, learning to build. I built two cabins. I'm halfway building two cabins. And I get so tired doing it that I my garden has been a little uncared for. It's it's we're ticking it along, but I want it. But talking to you, I just get so fired up. I want to rush out and get gardening. Should I be in a little mini glasshouse growing lettuces?
1: Yeah, um, in the winter time. Um... Very much so. I, I prefer the drunken woman lettuce, um, which nobody has actually criticised that name. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed <laughs> at all the wokey people going, oh, you can't have a drunken woman lettuce. <laughs> 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 I, I, I don't know what you'd call it. You could, it's not a drunken man. A I'm
0: going to go and I've got to go drunken woman lettuce just for the sake of it.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna um,
0: go on and say, Where's your drunken woman lettuce, please? Is it woman single or woman plural?
1: Woman. Or, woman. Drunken woman.
0: Lettuce. Yeah. And what would be the nice tomato? Beef you said cold setting Ru- tomato. Ru-
1: rush Russian red.
0: And that's a cold setting tomato.
1: Yes. And there are some others which um for your climate, there are seeds. One was developed for the American army uh, in Greenland where it would set uh, fruit in temperatures below zero. Um, Wow. Which, But only like your sweet 100 and a a bush-type tomato grown in a pot. Um, Yeah, but once again, in winter, it's good to have some fresh tomatoes. That would be amazing.
0: And tell me, would your... um would your your brassicas they're just brassicas there's not all these 101 varieties to get confused from you just plant brassicas
1: yeah um there are winter vari- varieties and there's summer varieties the winter ones are the more crinkly ones yeah right um, so winter brassicas so that's right in regards to cabbages and once again also there are varieties which will do better in winter of cauliflower, sprouting broccoli. Now, there's a point. Some people may not know that if you grow, say, broccoli and you get a nice head and you cut that off just um, at the base of the head and you leave the plant in the ground, you'll get a whole lot of little wee heads. No way. Did you know that? No. Yeah, yeah. In fact, some... Uh, seed, um, seedling company has actually now promoted a a, a side-sprouting broccoli. I forget what they call it now, but it happens with anything. Even cabbage. If you cut the head off a cabbage and you leave the stump in the ground with its outer leaves, you'll get a whole lot of little cabbages for, mm. right, They're not going to be big, but they'll be small and in months of being quite edible. Um, In the old days, we used to say, when you cut the head off, you cut a cross in the um, stump, right, to make this happen. It's not necessary, and I don't know why we used to do it, but somebody came up with the idea. Maybe they're a Christian, and they want to have a cross in their garden.
0: Should I, with my brassicas, grow them from seed at this late stage?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm
0: I'll
1: great. And I have another
0: quick- question for you, Wally. When I have a nice tomato, could I put one of those tomatoes aside and get the seeds off it for next year?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, but you don't need to put it aside. All you've got to do when you cut it for your sandwich and so forth is just prick out some of the seeds, put them on a piece of toilet paper or tissue paper, right, just leave them on the windowsill in the kitchen, getting morning sun, um, to dry. And then once they're dried, then you write on the tissue paper um, the the name of the variety, like uh, Big Ben or whatever, and the date. And then you roll it up, and then you put it inside a glass jar with a lid, and you put it in the fridge, as long well as a whole lot of other stuff in the same jar. It'll keep very nicely. And even if it's a hybrid, it will still come basically true to form.
0: My goodness. Well, I'm going to do that because seeds aren't cheap. No. It's and
1: cheap relative to veggies. But
0: when you're sitting there and you're thinking, I've got all these, and this is a nice tomato. I'd like to grow that one again. And you could just uh, grab the seeds.
1: I had it. Uh, a- Sorry. Yeah, carry on. I had an elderly lady order some stuff off me the other day and she said, I'm having problems growing parsley, not parsley, but parsnips. I said, Really? I I said, Who do you get your seeds from? I won't mention the companies. I said, Oh, rubbish. (laughs) Parsnips have a very short germination period, right? Within one year, your germ rate. Will have dropped significantly, um, and particularly if not stored properly, right? So you have to ideally have very fresh seed, right? And I said, well, by chance, I've got some parsley that's gone to seed. I'll give you some lovely fresh seed. So I sent her a packet along with her products, um, and they will germinate. You know, you get a hundred percent strike. The other thing with parsley. Two is that that you've got to keep the ground moist while they're germinating until they get sprouted in a way. Because I found one year in the garden, I had a row of parsnips. One end was quite damp; the other end you had to water a fair bit. The damp end, perfect strike. The rest of the row, it was bits and pieces. Not a good strike.
0: My dear Auntie Edna Blissier, lovely, lovely woman. Destroyed me for parsnips. She came and stayed to look after us kids once when my mum went to hospital. Oh my goodness. Every night. She used to be a cook at a hospital. Every night we'd get this pumpkin and parsnip mashed up. I can't begin to tell you how much I detested that food. And she'd make us eat it. And, you know, I have never looked at a pasta <laughs> pumpkin soup. <laughs> <since. laughs> I've had pumpkin soup. But it was it's a terrible thing as a kid, isn't it? Because it was probably lovely.
1: Oh, like, it is. It I
0: got is. it in my head that pumpkin. And I think I had a thing when I was a kid that you don't mix things up and mash them. And this idea of this meshed it was this orange thing and this white thing all mashed up and boiled, boiled for a, you, you know, you'd boil a rock and it would soften. As, it was so long, boiled. And then all punched down and this glop would land on your plate and I had to eat every last thing. And I have not had a parsnip from that moment to this day. I, I, love- might, I might have to. How do you cook your parsnips?
1: Um, roast them. Um, Roast parsnip. Um, yeah, you you could put them into water, boil them, and you could mash them, and you could put them with cumla or um, potatoes or make a mix like that. Um,
0: I must say, it's different when you grow it. Grow it. I, that was my dad's parsnip and dad's pumpkin. He grew them. But I think if I sat down and I grew a parsnip, um, I, I would be different. I've got that topic for you. And it's this. This comes from Hugh from the Tropical Fruit Grass New Zealand. And this is this is um, challenging for you, Wally. It says, hey, no disrespect to Wally. Yeah, it's a bit of a start,
1: right? No disrespect.
0: But he may be unaware of a product designed specifically for grass species. Haloxophop-P was originally sold as Gallant. But now, under many brand names such as Scorp EC, can be applied as spray or brushed on. It only kills the grass, much better than Roundup, Glyphosate, and that's from Hugh. Does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm not familiar with it, but yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: Oh well, that's what he had to say. So you haven't heard of High Gallant? No. I didn't even know what that would be to do with, but I felt the need. Someone took the trouble to write to us. I felt the need, um, I felt the need to re- reply and give you the opportunity. Now tell me, Wally, what I want to get on to wheatgrass,
1: right? Okay. Tell
0: us about wheatgrass.
1: Yep, I wrote an article about it. If anybody would like to uh, have a copy of the article. Uh, they can email me um, on my email address. Um, Wheatgrass, I learned about wheatgrass many years ago, which was originally a fad, um, in in my way of thinking. Here's some nutty, woke um, health thing, da-da-da. People uh, go to a juice bar and get a shot of wheatgrass, etc., which is very bitter, very bitter because it's not grown properly. And then I, I read a book, C90, by uh, Menard, and Menard was advocating that the ocean um, water was mineral-rich and that fish uh, living in the ocean, even when they're old, their uh, internal organs were perfect because of the um, aspect of the salt and the minerals in the sea. And in the book, it said that wheat and barley were two plants that would take up every mineral that was made available to them. And there's 114 minerals and elements in the ocean water, and 114 known to man. In the ocean, 95% of sodium chloride, salt, and the other 5% are the other minerals and elements in perfect balance. Right and hence he was advocating you take the ocean water, you put it on your gardens, and you get the advantage of all these minerals, plants grow better, et cetera, et cetera. So we developed from that a product called ocean solids, right, which is just the raw salt from the blue water of the ocean. Okay. Now, when I read that wheat and barley would take up every known mineral and element, I went, ah! That's what's missing in the juice bars. They're not putting the minerals in. So I grew some wheat grass, which is just wheat seed anyway. It's just ordinary wheat seed. There's nothing special about it. I thought it was a special blend, but no, any wheat will do. Um, Ocean solids and Wally's unlocking your soil, which is all the minerals from uh, the rock dust, right? So you put those into the tray that you're going to grow your wheatgrass in and then you cover them and you sprinkle your wheat seed very thickly so they're basically touching each other, right? And then you get your magic botanic liquid made up in a sprayer and you spray, spray, spray and wet them all down, right? Then you're getting the minerals from prehistoric times into your wheat. Then you Cover it with a bit of sand or uh, compost, and then you put a sheet of glass over because the birds and the mice will find the seed, and it'll rip the whole thing to pieces. So you've got to protect it while it's germinating. Keep it moist with non-chlorinated water, and then when the grass gets up to about the level of your uh, sheet of glass, this is in a polystyrene box we're talking about, then you take the glass off and you put some curtain netting or crop cover over it to stop any damage happening and let it grow. When it gets up to my metric ruler (laughs) size of around about 10 to 15 um, centimetres, you cut the grass with a pair of scissors at basically soil level and, and you get a couple of handfuls of this grass. Then, and this is most important, you put it into a manual turn-the-handle juicer. It cannot be a high-speed juicer because it destroys all the enzyme and all the goodness of the grass because of the heat factor. So it's got to be squeezed out. You get a shot of glass um, from a handful or two, say about 50 mils or so, and immediately you've juiced it down the hatch. Ideally, on an empty stomach, and i tell you what, it is the most powerful health supplement that you could think of. It is sweet, it's mineral-rich, and it will change your life, honestly. I had people, after I advocated it some years ago about how to do it, so throw it and so forth, one person who's on chemotherapy, he said, I got onto your wheatgrass, He said, I haven't lost my hair, I haven't had any adverse effects, but I'm taking a shot of wheatgrass three or four times a day. There's other people who've had health issues that doctors can't do anything for. They've got on to having two or three shots of wheatgrass a day, and they've grown a lot of grass to do that, of course, Uh, and barley grass. The Filipinos, my partner and all her friends, they don't want wheat grass, they want barley grass. Barley grass is a bit more bitter, but once again, it, it's got different properties uh, to the wheat, in a sense. So you could grow them both in the same box or in the same garden pot yes. or the same raised garden and cut them both and and start taking it. The alternative to that is you have a high-speed blender and you make smoothies, so you cut your grass, put it in there, and then you're getting the benefits of the um grass, what's the name the fiber, the fiber aspect.
0: I see. And that does that create a heat problem?
1: Um, if it's a very high-speed blender and, and they are more expensive, like five-six hundred dollars, I've got one of them. Um that the blades turn at 40,000 revs per minute. It's it a massive, um not cheap, but there's no heat. It's, it's, it's only a very mild. Short.
0: It's short and of. fast.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fr- you make a it.
0: funny point about how stupid we can be because I read about wheatgrass last year and I grew some and I sent away to get the wheatgrass seed. And I got the seed. And I did exactly as all you said, except I didn't have a hand processor, and I'm going to do it again after reading your article. But I looked at the sweet seed that I would bought, and I thought, this is just wheat. (laughs) I buy organic wheat by the 25kg sackful and have several sacks in my shed because I make bread and I um, mill some of my wheat. Not all of it, but whenever I make a loaf of bread, it'll have some proportion of freshly milled wheat because it adds a lot of flavor because it's got the oils in it. Mm. And so I'd gone off and bought this 100 gram of wheat seed <laughs> when in fact I had about 150 kgs of the cabbage. So you don't, yeah, it's just ordinary wheat. Um, I'm going to do that. I read your article and it was very good. People should get onto Wally's mailing list um, because it's great insight every week. Tell me, Wally, what's your email address?
1: The email address is um, Wally, wallyjr, J R. W A L L Y J R at Garden News with one N. So it's G-A-R-D-E-N-E-W-S dot co dot N-Z. But, if you put into Google, Wally Richards, that's time I did it, on the first six pages, yes. comes up, and, and there's all links to Bone articles numbers, and everything. God knows what else. So an easy way to do it is that our mail order website, um, of course, is the same as our telephone number. So it's www.0800466464.co.nz so um, you can go on there and get information. And my old, old website is gardennews.co.nz, which um, has got past articles going back 20 years, but no recent articles.
0: And you can always give
1: Wally a ring
0: on what number, Wally?
1: 0800 466 464.
0: Tell me, Wally, Given that you do mail order and post out a lot, do you lose much through the postage?
1: Oh, you mean things go astray and yeah. don't turn up? Um, probably no. We're fairly lucky. It's probably maybe once every once in a blue moon, is a yeah. parcel goes missing. Um, I I, I'm. I'm surprised because we posted a lot of our new book out in in using New Zealand Post envelope, a 4 envelope. And I thought, oh, my God. But none have gone missing. So congratulations, New Zealand Post.
0: Yeah. Well, I just had some tea I ordered before Christmas, and it never turned up, and it was so irritating. I actually think someone pinched it out in my letterbox. And um, I just wondered if it was a thing because I was so – I got the thing that it was delivered, and when I got to the letterbox, it wasn't there, and I spent a long time sort of chasing it. The New Zealand Post assured me that it would be put in the box, and I can only assume that someone came along and thought, oh, that's some nice tea, and pinched it, but it's it's not yeah. something I'd ever heard of before.
1: We, we get that, particularly in Auckland. Uh, there are people, apparently, that sometimes, particularly Christmas time, that follow the couriers around, and when the couriers go, they... S- suss out the place, and then pop in and pick up the parcels. And then they take them home, open them up. If they can use them themselves, but okay, good. But if they can't, they put them on trade me for a dollar. My goodness.
0: yeah. There we have it, our gardening guru, Professor Wally Richards. So wonderful to be back on here. So wonderful to have Wally. Wally, thank you for your experience and your knowledge. I look forward to talking to you soon. You're on Radley Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, a living treasure, a treasure of knowledge of gardening and all-round good guy, Wally Richards. Thank you for listening. We are truly blessed in this great country of ours to have this community, to have these people, to have these guests and especially to have Wally Richards sharing with us that wonderful thing and that gift of nature gardening where we can grow beautiful gardens that fill us with wonder and we can grow our own food to keep us nourished and healthy. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality
1: Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.